read from a crack. This is episode number 96, and our book is Angron, The Red Angel by David Geimer. It is the story of Angron coming back into this new era again to fight, fight some gray knights. So Carrie and I both had something in this book. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, definitely check it out and then come back to this episode as we'll be discussing it from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. Did you like the book? I did. It was fun. That makes me so happy. I went into this book and I was like, Oh man, I felt really bad because I was super all about it because I love Angry Ron. But I was like, oh, I feel kind of bad. I hope I was hoping that the Grey Knights would keep you hooked. And then when you were like, I liked the book. So like, honestly, I didn't know the Grey Knights were in it. And so I was just like kind of putting off reading this because again, like, Angry Ron. Eh, you know, whatever. I was like, I mean, David Geimer. Okay, I like this guy. So maybe it'll be good. And then I see that Grey Knights have joined the party. I'm like, cool. I'm in. <laughs> Saw that and was just like, oh, there's going to be something for both of us. <laughs> and then, no, I, I also really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was good. It um, it did not overstay its welcome. No, it and did its thing and pieced on out. Yeah, it did. And quite frankly, it might be the book of the year because... It finally explained what happened to my girl, Lotara. I have been, and I think I've even mentioned that on this podcast, I have been wondering what's happened to Lotara post-heresy, well, pretty much since I read Betrayer. Um, super excited about that. And I even said to you, like, over the years, I was like, I would just love if she ended up being, like, the machine spirit of the Conqueror. And I'm going to be really honest, a mostly insane homicidal manifestation of the spirit, the machine spirit of the conqueror was like, honestly, the best ending Lotara could have ever gotten. It is so fitting for her character. It is not, it's like, I think she would have liked it, honestly. Like if you could go back in time and be like, so this is what's going to happen to you. I think she'd be like, shit, yes, let's do it. So, you know, I've, I've voiced how I feel about the whole idea of the machine spirit that I don't like it. It creeps me out. Honestly, with this, I'll allow it because because of all things, it just it like you said, it, it made sense because even when um, and I think it was in Betrayer, or maybe even before Betrayer, where Lotara was, she was like, "What are we doing? Why are we going against the Emperor? Like this is stupid. Y'all are stupid." But at the same time, she didn't want to leave her ship, so she's like, "This is this is mine. This is mine now." So I was like, you know what? Makes total sense how she would just be like, this is mine. I am never leaving. Read that short story, which I highly recommend, A Rose Watered with Blood. Um, it basically talks about how, like, how loyal she is to the Conqueror and how much she loves the Conqueror. And um, at one point, the Conqueror is like trying to keep her happy because it's right after they kind of turn to Corrin and everything's going crazy and just, ugh. Um, it like sends her this vision of this guy she was really close friends with, but like he tries to crawl into her bed and she's like, no, no, we were never like that. Please stop trying. And, um, but it was like the, like she just had this bond with the conqueror. And I say it again, this was, this was like the best outcome for her. 
Well, I, then, I was wondering if it was her from like the outset when you've, it starts with Cosslock's like, like the ship Conqueror is always trying to kill him. Like, okay, that's just kind of funny. The idea of a ship being like, you know what? No. But it was when he talked about, you know, this this ghost, basically, type of a woman. He called her the mistress. So my first thought was, I wonder if that's Lotara. Because I can't imagine who else that would be. And then, you know, when they actually find the command deck and they find the bones and they talk about the white uniform, like, that's totally Latara. And, of course, then they had, you know, Shaka, uh, pretty, like, he was like, you know, we called her Captain Saren. I'm like, okay, so thank you for, like, you know, just in case we didn't get the clues that, yes, that's who it is. But at the same time, this is once again, like, another book that makes me glad that I'm currently reading The Horus Heresy because... Without the Horus Heresy, I wouldn't know who she was. I wouldn't know why this mattered. And not only that, but then it also kind of dove into what happened to Angron. And if I hadn't read the Heresy to know that it was actually Lorgar that did this to him, that he didn't want this, Lorgar just kind of kicked him down that hole because they mention all that. I would have been like, wait, what? I thought he chose this. Nope. So that was all very, very, very interesting. So I I agree with that because like with Lotara, okay, if you didn't really know who Lotara is, you would just be like, oh, because there's like, there was a captain that he really like liked or admired or something like that or was really important in the heresy. Like, okay, cool, I guess. Um, but when they start going into the history, especially not just of Angron, but Kosalax in general, or Solax as he was known, um, once they start going into the history of both of them and they start, because, and we'll talk a bit about this later, this book spends a lot of time in the past. Um... Yeah, you really do need... This book really does assume that they're like, you've at least read up to Betrayer, right? Oh, yeah, because they talk about, you know, uh, Nuceria, what happened on Nuceria. That was... You would only know that if you read Betrayer or if you've, like, really delved into the history of the Horus Heresy. You know, you would only know about um, that he, you know, spanked, basically, um, Lehman Russ and how they bragged about it later. You know, the whole thing about, you know, that... We were broken. They tried to fix us. Remember? Remember Lehman Russ was going to fix us? And then, you know, and they talk about, you know, that he knocked down a, another Primarch with Reboot Gulliman. So if you, again, you don't know the Horus Heresy, you're not going to understand anything that they're talking about because that all happened in Betrayer. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it, this, and honestly, that that's a thing that I really liked about this book is I was like, this is almost a spiritual sequel to Betrayer. I can um, see that. I, I I almost feel as though, to be fair, it's also a sequel to a book that we will be reading somewhat soon, Armageddon, which they recently just republished, right? Because they referenced the first war of Armageddon a lot in there too. Um, which actually, when they said that, I was like, that's why they republished Armageddon. Well, <laughs> yes, there's a few things we're going to hypothesize. It's because, a like lot. Armageddon, I think there's going to be a lot that links back to what happened there i think you're absolutely correct i think because, it, so i know we'll no, i know nothing about armageddon but was that also where um uh thraka was as well was on armageddon yes okay that See? was the somebody keep me honest here i think that's the second war for armageddon armageddon's had it's 
Armageddon's had a rough go of things. Um, because there's the first war for Armageddon where I think is the one that Ingron's at. There's the second war for Armageddon that I think is the one where um Ragnar Blackmane and Thraka, I'll be honest, I have a hard time keeping all of them straight. But yeah, Armageddon's has seen it's well, had some hard times. It just, you know, kind of starting to piece things together, right? Because we did have, you know, that that Thraka book not too long ago. And um you know, hell, even, like, the Warhammer Plus to the story between Thraka and Yarick. Like, by the way, this was a thing back on Armageddon. And then we have the republishing of Armageddon. And now we have Angron. And then we have the lion, the lion. up to go fight Angron. And we have... And here's the thing that's... Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Right? Because... <laughs> It's also been rumored that Angron may or may not have killed older Bailai, which then has Thraka pissed at Angron, which I would just love to see that. Like, I want to read a book about that battle so badly when Thraka shows up and is just like, you killed my enemy. Like, that's... <laughs> Angron's just going to be like, ah! <laughs> like, I just... <laughs> it's going to be, um... <laughs> Everything's coming up Angron right now. It's, uh... We're going to talk about him in a second here because I really want to dive into him. But as always, what parts stood out to you in this book? There were actually quite a few. A lot of it had to do with a lot of the reflection that they had, you know, back on themselves. Like, now I got to, like, get my notes out here because I was just all chit-chatting about blah, 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 blah. As we're prone to do. But, I mean, just there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of the the, the uh, callbacks and... You know, when uh, Graucus was like, you know, the emperor had allowed his son to remain broken as he's, which is something that I've actually wondered because we've even talked about this because like he found Angron and then just saw he was messed up and then just dumped him like, don't have fun later. Um, uh, everything about the Primarchs had been engineered to be extraordinary when they broke. They broke in ways mere mortals could not conceive. I loved that quote also called that quote out that as of right now i know that we're only in march but that's i, I really foresee that mm -hmm. coming back up in our book club of the and this one i gosh i just i loved uh Kossalax just because a lot of this was from him when he was like looking as they were fighting and he's like you know in the past we used to chain ourselves together and he's like like the slave gladiators of angron's abusive childhood to impose discipline and brotherhood on warriors who valued neither. Like. And this final, like, quote that I, I wrote down was that they were talking about, you know, why they even did with the heresies. Like, there was no better reason for what we did than that Angron didn't care. Whole thing. He just didn't care. So, I mean, yes, yeah, so in many ways, yes, Lorgar, you know, kicked him down that pit like in um, 300. But Angron would have gone down there eventually on his own anyway. Just uh, Lor Lorgar found the express elevator. He, uh, he hit the fast forward button. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're going to do this eventually anyway. So it's like it's like a mama bird. Gotta kick him out of the nest. <laughs> um, I hate the idea of Lorgar being the mama bird of the heresy. Anyways. Well, he uh, kind of was. I mean. Yeah. 
He really was. But um, I think actually, but the thing that really stood out to me was, you know, Shaka. Because first of all, he's terrifying. And I really, I, there's one thing I will say about this book was that they really embodied very well. Of course, they did it mostly with Shaka about how insane they all are and how they have no idea really what's going on and how much the butcher's nails really just destroy them. Um, Because like in Shaka, he would even talk about how that he couldn't say the words he, you know, just wanted things to stop and he would just, you know, smack his head until things stopped. And the next thing he knew, he's like, how did I get here? And why is everybody dead? Ah, well, you know, just and, and moves on. But but when the uh, the the beacon of light happened and it was definitely the emperor that was in there protecting the Grey Knights for like half a second. And when Shaka was like, he's like, you could have fixed us. And then his last words were forgive and talked about how he did the sign of the Aquila before the beacon totally like destroyed him. I was like, oh, man, that's 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 some powerful stuff. Because it's a question we have asked. But oh, why did the emperor? Why did he one leave his son broken? Um, Because I think they even. talked about it I, I could be like blending my books together but I don't remember if it was this book or if it was like one of the horse heresy books where they talked about why didn't they just treat Angron the way that they did the second and the eleventh uh, it's like that's a very good question they, they kind of go into it in the Emperor of Mankind by Aaron Dembski Bowden they basically they look in onto these nails in Angron, he gets him on a slab and is kind of looking at him, and he's like, pull him out. And I can't remember who he's talking to, but the guy is like, can't. They are so ingrained in his brain, we will kill him. And then, you have to keep in mind that this is like, there's all sorts of stuff going on in this book at this point, and so the Emperor is kind of like, great. Like, he's got so many plates spinning, right, that it, it there's more an explanation, I don't want to spoil the book for you. However, because you're coming up on it pretty soon. Um, we'll have to discuss it, talk amongst ourselves after you get to that part. But, I mean, they do talk about that, but that it has always been one of the things, right? Is like, you saw this was going south. Which is always the joke that we've made, is what did 2 and 11 do that was somehow worse than what Ingron and Conrad were doing? Like, just out of curiosity. Well, and then, like, the fact that he put the nails, like, in all of his sons... You didn't stop that? You know Which it makes you it kind of makes me wonder, like, did the did the Emperor like was Angron inconvenient because he was so uncontrollable, but at the end of the day he kind of needed. He kind of like like uh oh gosh, what is his name? From uh, a few good men. Colonel Jessup. Did oh. he want Angron on that wall. He needed him on that wall. Like, I need, there is a time and a place for these these berserker warriors who will just go in there and kill until it's done, right? Like, maybe it was all part of the Emperor's plan, right? Like, who knows? Um, well, that's the other thing we always talk about. It's like, you know, like, for example, Kurz. That ball, but did he know all this was going to happen? And he was just like, that's cool. Right? Like, uh, oh, well, like, kids, you try your best. <laughs> um, I'm a great dad. Um, <laughs> My God. It's a it's a good question, but you know, my husband gives me a bad time a lot because I like the world eaters so much. Because we see 
generally the world eaters, and this is this is a very valid complaint for my husband, is that the world eaters are like the cannon fodder. They're almost like the Nazis. Bear with me for a second. They're almost like the Nazis of the Warhammer 40k universe in so much as they're the go-to villains. They're, they don't have to have a rhyme or a reason or a plan. They're just Nazis. They're just world eaters, right? Like, they're they're gonna kill you. They're evil. They're terrible. They don't have to have like some or zombies. plot. Zombies is another really good example, right? There's no overarching plot. There's no really like they're not trying to ooh move a chess piece. No, they're just here to kill, and you just gotta kill them. And they're terrifying. So they're very they're very easy. They're a very easy villain. But when good authors write them well, you get characters like Kosalax, who's like I'm actually a little introspective. I actually have a little bit going on in the ball. I think about Arian from the Fabulous Bill series, mm-hmm. right? I have a huge soft spot. Or um, Leorvine, Ukris from the Black uh, Legion stories. Mm-hmm. I have a very soft spot for world eaters that have a little bit on the ball who haven't actually fallen into, like, Shaka. Like, and even him... There was, as you said, like that, I teared up. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, these poor guys, they were so broken. And they just, and again, like, Conrad hated his sons, but his sons kind of, like, made do with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they were just like, yeah, hey, we're criminals. I guess we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. Anyways, the world eaters were hated and broken. It just makes me... Let's talk about Kostlax for a second. Do you like him as a villain? Is he going to be a problem? I don't even call him a villain. Well, from from the Imperium standpoint. Okay, but. That's what I mean. It's like, do you think he's going to become like a problem for the Imperium going forward? I I really don't. Because honestly, I felt bad for him. Because he reminded me of something that we saw in the uh, Black Legion books. Or even in the. the uh, the Karn book that that we read just wants to reunite the Legion. <laughs> it makes me so sad that one of the things that is deeply, deeply ingrained in all of these people is this desire for a brotherhood, this desire for a fraternity, right? And especially with you guys, it's so hard, like. I guess it's kind of like a kindergarten teacher trying to get the class under control for them, right? Like, he had and there some const- ideas. Yes, if a kindergarten class was constantly eating sugar. Sugar and maybe a little meth. Um, <laughs> exactly. He had some, he, he tried to have an idea of, like, we got to get together, right? But he himself has problems with, like, he himself is not all there, and his... I mean, one of his best guys is Shaka. Oh, and his ship is trying to kill him because it's honestly that's probably my favorite plot device ever. Was the ship was Hmm. trying to kill the ship was trying to kill him? I'm like, this is entertaining. Like, I I kind of like this. Oh, agreed. Like, and it it wasn't just like a like a oh oh darn you it tried to kill me that mm, that's a problem. No, no, it was it was a constant foil to him. But did you like did you like his inner dialogue, kind of how he was thinking about oh, yeah. things. Oh, yeah. His reminiscences of him, you know, well, his like, dalliance. Well, well, most of those quotes were all from him, from his 
on introspection and in the past and what he's trying to do in the future. And, you know, I just thought it was so funny that, you know, when Angron comes back, he's just like, oh, my God, not now. He's going to ruin everything. <laughs> like, well, you're not wrong. That is kind of what he does. There's a reason why he got kicked out of his own ship before they reached Terra. You know, like, you're going to ruin Lutara. things. <laughs> well, Latara Latara plans it, essentially. I know, but uh, it's like, you're going to ruin things. <laughs> yeah, he is, in some ways, for the world eaters, and we've seen this before, but in this book, I think it was best illustrated, Angron is almost an agent of chaos. And I don't mean like, oh, he worships corn. I mean, he is he is an actual chaotic figure who... I don't think he worships okay. anything. Well, kind of. I mean, he just wants to kill everything. Well, yeah, but, it's uh, the same, but like, I don't think he cares about corn. Yeah, he's a demon prince of corn, but I don't think he really cares. Like the... I He is very nihilistic. He's just like, I don't, he's, and almost in many ways, like, he's almost corn. Like, I don't care from whence the blood flows as long as it flows. Like, and I don't care about using it to worship or building a skull throne. Like, you know, what Karn does is like, I just want to kill everything and everybody. I do like the idea that he basically just sits on the conqueror and they're just like, we want to kill this planet. Oh. He's just this, like, attack dog. He's like a rabid dog on a leash that they keep down there. But you're right. Like, he has all these plans. And then Angron shows up and he's like, oh. It's just, he is this, like, little agent of chaos. Oh, yeah. Chaotic fury. <laughs> Let's talk about him really quickly. Because as we just went through, like... They just republished Armageddon. We know that the lion is coming back to deal with him. The rock is kind of ticked at him. I feel like they're kind of setting Angron up to be this big bad for this next, like, series of this next few years, right? It's not, yes, we have the Necrons. Yes, we have the Orcs. Yes, we have all of the stuff that's going on right now. But Angron is back and... This is going to shock you. He's angry. Um, well, I mean, you know, Mortarion was sent to his room. So, right, so we had this huge period where Mortarion was the big bad, and now we're moving on to Angron. Is he a, is he a better big bad? Is he? Are are you invested in that, or do you like that? No, um, but I mean, just just because there's not that much depth to Angron, so like at least like Mortarion, he had like you know all of these plans like. It's kind of funny because for the fact that a book had Angron's name on it and he's on the cover, there's really hardly ever about him. He just kind of happened to to be there. And I think that it's because you really can't have a book written from his point of view uh, since Betrayer because there's no mind. Well, even in Betrayer, that. though, a lot of the book is around, it's about, one of the things I've always said about Angron is that Either we're going to talk about the nails again, because that is the Uncle Ben, Martha and Thomas Wayne of that's the most important thing that ever happened to Angron, right? It's him implanting the nails in his legion. We've seen this all the time. Um, Most of the books and most of the stories, and even Betrayer is a little bit like this too. It's people reacting to Angron around him. And it's what people are thinking and doing around him. We don't get a lot of stories or chapters that are POVs of Angrons. Yes, we saw some in Betrayer, but No, I mean, so really that. the only scene you got with that in Betrayer 
was um oh when he lands on Nuceria and he walks up to the throne room and is looking around and basically discussing things. Uh, let's see. Like the only one you get. It's interesting that for Angron being this big bad and being a Primarch, we really don't know Angron. I feel as though we know Mortarian. We know Conrad Kurz. We know, uh, for sure we know Magnus. For mm -hmm. sure we know Orgar. Fulgrim. We don't really know Angron. Maybe there just is nothing to, I mean, maybe that makes him even more tragic because there's really not a lot to say about the guy. He's just real mad. He is incandescently, mind-numbingly mad. Which I'm going to agree with you. I don't think necessarily makes him a compelling big bad or a compelling villain. I will actually say that when we went into this book and they said that Angron was coming back, I was like, yeah, and he's he's going to cause a wreak some havoc, cause some chaos, and then he's going to get banished again, and we're all going to go home and pretend that nothing ever happened. So I was looking through one of the short story collections because there was a couple of short stories that I had read recently that was actually told from Angron's point of view. Mm -hmm. And one there's is, that one. there's one, uh, Lord of the Red Sands mm -hmm. by ADB. I like and, that story. And, but that's not the one I was thinking of. I mean, it's not like there's that many short story collections in the Horus Heresy, right? So I should be able to find it rather quickly. There's like one. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just a couple. But, yeah, there's, it's... but there's one I was thinking of and I can't find it top of my head, but it, maybe it's this one. It's ADB. Uh, no, damn it. No. But there is this one where Angron talked, he actually talks to Lorgar about why he did the butcher's nails on his sons. And find it. But it was a very interesting reason. It was like the one time he actually, like, you know, was sharing stuff and he was just like I don't know why I'm telling you but I feel like I can tell you of all my brothers no idea which, which maybe it's this one uh nope that's sanguineous okay well you know I, I just looked up two different ones um I guess got like you know 10 more to go so I'll get there <laughs> but anyway can I mean, don't have to wait for me. This can I'm just saying that there was like a few that we had from, from him. Oh, here we go. Butcher's Nails. Like right there on the head. Uh, yep, this is it. Uh, I think like to, I think you're illustrating my point very well, yeah. actually. Is that, but... It also, it does not make him a very compelling big bad. It does not make him a very compelling foil or enemy for the Imperium. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not dangerous. He is tremendously dangerous. Uh, and he does. We've seen him. He does nothing but wreak bloodshed, carnage, and havoc mm -hmm. wherever he goes, right? And you have right. to deploy a mass force to deal with him. I mean, it's kind of like you know, when Karn shows up. It's like, oh, shit. Like, this is bad. But it's not like it's going to be some like detailed plan or some real big backstory to why he's doing things. He's just there to go like kill stuff. So 
so yeah, so like, unlike Mortarian, who has had this huge plan that I'm going to make a big giant Nurgle garden out of the 500 worlds. I mean, that's a big plan. <laughs> Bold and see how it plays out for him. Yeah, well, it probably would have turned out great if a dear old dad it, hadn't interceded. If it hadn't been for the meddling emperor. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I we'll talk more about him in a minute because I really want to dive in at the end to conjecture time with the lion. But... Or we can go there now, I guess, actually, because we know the lion's coming back to fight Ingrid. Like, Mortarian and Reboot had a heart-to-heart. They actually had a few heart-to-hearts, right? Um, in yeah. fact, one of my favorite scenes was, I think it's from the second book, but it might be, it is. yes, the second it book, is. where he's just like, oh, did you talk to dad? And Reboot kind of looks away and he's like, oh, you did. <laughs> so did you, did you figure out the truth? And he's sitting there like he's mocking him. And he basically, they have this big conversation and Reboot gets to sit there and wax sentimental about Mortarian. Mortarian waxes not so sentimental about Reboot, right? Where he's just like, why this guy? But like, he has an opinion. He has a plan, as you mentioned. He has a personality, a backstory, a motivation. Like, what what, what are Angron and the Lion going to talk about? Well, first of all, the Lion doesn't talk to anybody. Because you're just supposed to know, Okay. True. So you have arrogance and anger going up against one another. Mm-hmm. Is, is that going to be compelling? Like, are we going to want to read a story about that? About the lion showing up and being like, and Angron being like, ah! Uh, of course, the lion being like, it's going to be very compelling dialogue. Man, the only thing I really want, you know, okay, he can get to Angron later. He's not going anywhere, you know, but I need to have him and Reboot have, like, another heart-to-heart, like they did in Unremembered Empire. Ingra, actually, something just dawned on me. Thraka is going to have a better conversation. One-sided, mind you. With Ingra. <laughs> like, Thraka's going to be more eloquent of, like, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about them bringing back Ingra. The one thing I will say is thank you, David Geimer. Thank you. I was, again, I was deeply concerned. He was going to show up. He was going to throw all of his toys around the room. There was going to be blood and skulls and everything everywhere. And then he was just going to get his butt kicked and go back to the warp for another, like, mm, I don't know, a spell. I did like that, which we'll talk about here in in a little bit. But I did like that essentially the book does not end with him being banished. It ends with him being hurt. And he's hanging out in the void going, well, crap. (laughs) Hey, like... Oh, well, starts swimming back to the Conqueror. Lotara oh, will find me. Nah, Kosalax is left. <laughs> He's like, is like, peace. Like, you done messed up, a Agron, so I'm out of here. Son of a bitch, that was perfect. I wish I could uh, take credit for that, but actually that was my husband. Man, I know I owe him a... For a guy who doesn't read Warhammer and doesn't like any of this stuff. Actually, pretty damn good. Damn. Mm-hmm. That bastard. Um, I owe him some yingling, I guess. Um, so let's transition to your half of the novel, as it were. You now own them. Hmm. What did you think of your Grey Knights? Just in general. Let's start with just as a general thing. What did you think of these Grey Knights? Uh, the, well, I can't remember. What order were they, though? I can't remember. The 666th chapter? What? 
Which I'm like, well, but is that really accurate? Because they were technically formed back in the heresy. And that was before all the bazillion chapters happened. So, like, is that really that they accurate? Ed Carey. Okay. They could have been the 40th chapter and they were like, Nobby, we're the 666. This is Warhammer country. We well, don't do subtlety. Unless they were counting, because, like, I know all the legions actually had chapters. Unless they were counting all of those. But, you know, okay. I mean, maybe. Sure. Just just smile and nod with it. Just be like, yes. Okay. I see what you did there. Oh, well, if you didn't the first time. Maybe you did yeah. the second time. Was it still too subtle? How about the third time? Was there a third time? I just remember two times. I'm like, oh, my God. And Rand, I get it. Um, <laughs> you guys are demon hunters. I get it. I get the concept. I did. I did I liked, like them. I do always like the Grey Knights. I liked the um, whole idea of there was a shard of Angron's sword just embedded in this guy's leg that was kind of like a little homing beacon. <laughs> well, and I, for some reason, this is a constant refrain in Warhammer, but I do like it where he's like, oh, Angron's going to be back. And everyone's like, no, nah, I don't know about it. And he's like, oh, no, he is. Right? Like, it, it, Sigismund did the same thing. Like, we see this a lot with some Inquisitors, too, who are like, this problem's coming back. And, uh, no, that's fine. It's coming back. And then guess what? It Ooh. comes back. You said Inquisitors. Huh? You said Inquisitors. So now I'm already thinking about Sabathiel with the lion. <laughs> I told you. It's all coming together. It's all together. coming together. I mean. It was really strange that they brought back Sabbath Thiel randomly yeah. out of nowhere. This is like, this is, uh, I mean, you can hear Zinch going, oh, yes. It's all coming together. <laughs> it's all according to plan. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, but I do, like, I I always have mixed feelings on the Grey Knights. <laughs> they are definitely omelets and eggs people, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah like, i liked them i thought I, I i thought that you know the only person who ever really wrote the gray knights where i really really liked them was adb because the gray knights very intentionally do not have a lot by way of personality right because they basically have like they're like monks in a lot of way because mm -hmm. they, they can't want to be corrupted right um they have to take away a lot of that personality and yet somehow ADB in The Emperor's Gift gave them a lot of personality. And I feel as though David Geimer did that here too. He did a really good job of like, yes, we're very cold. We're very calculating. We are like, we are kind of these monks. But we still have so, our own personalities and uh, fibers. David Annandale's Sons of Titans book, which I know I've mentioned like several times, does the same thing. Actually gives some personalities. And the thing I loved about that book was that how it dove into the whole idea of the prognosticators about how much of this is self-fulfilling prophecies, which was just delightful. I love that, love that kind of stuff. Um, actually, Graham McNeil, he was my first introduction to the Grey Knights and uh, the Killing Ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of our, our main boy? I know I'm probably going to say this one wrong, but I'm just going off of what I think this is what the audiobook said, but Grokkis. What did you think of that, him? That's how I said it in my head, was, was Gracchus. Um, how do you think? Uh, I'm kind of mixed on him, honestly, because he kind of reminded me a bit of Hyperion in a way, which is funny because, you know, he mentions Hyperion. They were in that group and how they all kind of disbanded after Armageddon because war changes people, apparently. And 
But he kind of reminded me of Hyperion in that I just must do all this alone. Oh, it was kind of the Batman of the Justice League here with, 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 with the Grey Knights. That is the perfect way to describe that, and I don't like that. Because <laughs> it's but true. you're not you're not wrong, you're not wrong at all. It is very much. I liked them overall as a concept. I liked the way that they were handled, but yeah, he was kind of like, okay, go ahead and pull yourself off that cross. Oh yeah, he yeah totally totally had that that cross to bear. Um. Gosh, we, I feel like we which might not have felt so pronounced if it hadn't if we hadn't just read the Iron Kingdom with that Black Templar who also was bearing a cross the whole time, right? Oh, um, right. These guys, to quote my husband from many, 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 many years ago, like when we read the third Uriel Ventress book, that's how long ago this was. Um, these men have trouble with feelings and emotions. Yes. But was he heroes? Not the right word. No. Um, but as our representative for the Imperium, the good side, as it were. Did you like him? Was he good? Was he a good Grey Knight or a bad Grey Knight? Well, he was a good Grey Knight. That doesn't exactly mean. Actually, no. He yes and no. He was a good Grey Knight because he was kind of a because Grey Knights are very big on the Brotherhood because they're all so unusual. You know, they're the only chapters that are actual direct descendants from the emperor himself. Like they have no Primarch. Their Primarch is the emperor. So they they have all that. Um, but, they, but they're very big on the psychic bonds with one another. How they all feel where one another are at all times. Um and he was very good at cutting himself off. So in that way, he was not a good Grey Knight. He was a good Grey Knight in how his planning, how he was coming together with really like the big overall plan, getting Angron like for 600 years, they've been trying to find all these tokens of all the Grey Knights that have fallen under him because they knew they were going to need them for a future ritual. You know, or Cruxons, you mean? Well, Yes. That was the only thing. <laughs> like, I was like, "This is these are Horcruxes." Well, except that they didn't have to kill the tokens to, you know, kill Angron. They just needed them for this ritual. So a little different from the Horcruxes. But I mean, with the, with the planning, yes, like he was definitely a, a good Grey Knight. But just the whole like, oh, uh, oh my gosh, and. How he decided, uh, so we're going to take this planet. We're going to use this planet as bait. And all I could think of is there was two memes about the Grey Knights that just cracked me up. And one is, um, you know, so so you, you, say, you saved us all from the demons. So that means we're going, that means everything is good, right? And it's like the Grey Knights, yes, but actually no. Oh. Yeah, um, that and um, it was a gift from, oh my gosh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that movie. But basically it's this guy dancing with axes. It's like one of those Kung Fu Hustle. This was Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, yes. It's like a gray knight coming towards an Imperial Guardsman who might have seen a little too much. <laughs> like, right. Yes. Well, 
let me ask you this then. Let's let's skip around on our questions here because this is a thing that's really been bothering me. Well, first off, actually, stop there. Let's talk because we have Gracchus and then we have, in the end, Dvorak, right? Mm-hmm. Who becomes like, how did? First off, how did you feel about both of their fates? Did either one of them deserve that? Well, I mean, Gracchus kind of seemed like he just gave up. I was kind of disappointed in that. I was like, I'll just kind of go. Might as well die. You know? (laughs) Yes, I'll die. (laughs) I just sent his mind somewhere else, which is like, yes, that was a nice tie-in. Like, like in the beginning, I guess. But you just kind of gave up. You let Dvorak, like, basically ruin his jaw by saying Engron's name just for him to get voided out as well. And then you try to help him, but then you're like, ah, nah, sending you back to the Conqueror. To do what? To die? Because that's what's going to happen to him. He can't, he can't survive on the Conqueror all alone. Are you saying that it might be inhospitable? It might be slightly inimical, since that's the word they like to use, to a Grey Knight. Right. So, okay, let, let, let's skip then ahead a little bit to this question, because was there a plan slash trap with the planet? Was it worth it in the end? Well, I guess no, because they didn't, they weren't successful, because they, they weren't counting on one thing. A thinking world eater. <laughs> be fair. Yes. <laughs> like... The idea that I would like to kind of imagine, like, when Kosalax and them teleport. I was like, beam? They don't beam. Teleport back up to the Conqueror. I imagine them kind of being like, well, shit, did not see that coming. Like, they think, huh. Like, yeah. <laughs> write that down in the book. Um, because, and again, going back to one of my earlier points, that's all we ever really see are the world eaters. It's just these mindless killing brutes who are just out there to I mean they are well within the throw of the nails and so well and then who does Kosalak send to take care of the issue I mean it wasn't like he went and took care of it yeah exactly um no exactly they and they did not count on that but also i mean like and, okay to be fair they had no way of knowing that saying Ingron's name wasn't going to um banish him or send him away which i mean you know at least you tried there was an attempt but at the end it's like well, but that was going to be their fail safe right if the ritual didn't right. work they were going to you know say the name so i got a plan it is dead this whole play, like, the psych, the beacon goes off, it, a whole lot of people are dead, and, uh, so are you, friends. And, and the planet broke. So I was like, yeah, you created Cadia. Cool. Probably well before the guard did. Let's be real. On this planet. Oh, uh, um, but no, the guard broke way before the planet did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it just, I like, I felt so bad. That was my first thought. It got to the end, and I was like, well, are you happy? Did you like how that ended up? Are you happy with what you did here? But like, it was, again. It was such a 40K ending, though. 
I mean, to be fair, of course, it's not going to end with them like trapping Angron because then what was the point of bringing him back, right? So, well, part of me was wondering if it was going to just be like an yet another, oh, and then we banish him, and then we all go, oh, yeah, look at that, he shucks foiled again. I mean, it's Angron. He, as we've already said, right? He didn't give a shit. Even in this book, like, he could have been banished, and I get the impression he would have been like, I'll be back. <laughs> but, yes, I, I kind of was wondering, I'm like, mm, are they going to go that way with it? And then somehow he comes out later or something, but, oh, nope. So on one hand, I liked it, but on the other, I'm like, again, that was a, that was a very steep price to pay for that uh, I also knew that this wasn't going to be the end because there's another, I guess, star child or something out there that Angron wants to go get. So, again, it's all coming together, right? All coming together, Even yes. though this is supposed to take place after the Indominus Crusade, or maybe it doesn't. I've lost track with what they're trying to do with the timeline. Are you suggesting it's because they don't give us dates anymore? I'm suggesting it's because they keep changing what they're doing. In my games workshop? I know, I know. Um, we'll get through this I will, together. I will agree with that. My impression is that this has to be during the Indominus Crusade, right? Because, I mean, we made this huge thing about Dark Imperium basically being rewritten to be taking place during the Indominus Crusade. You cannot... Okay, obviously they can. They can do whatever the hell they want. It's their IP. But this has to be going on during the Indominus Crusade. It just logically it has to be right right no no and i would like to imagine that this does end with a voicemail to robbie bobby with somebody somewhere being like so fun fact i don't know and this is out in imperium nihilus who's gonna know the this lion is, this is really the whole definition of in space no one can hear you scream Imperium Nihilus, nobody can hear you scream. There's the nobody coming. What? The lion can now. Oh, oh my god. Wait, but is the rock is the rock in Nihilus? This just occurred. I thought it was. Am well I the wrong? rock can go wherever it wants. To be fair. Hold on. In Imperium. Nihilus. I think so, because aren't they calling, aren't they calling now the lion, aren't they calling him the knight of Nihilus, which is kind of awesome? I, I, have, I have no idea. Um, I don't... Gosh. I can't be the Lord Regent. No, because he's not the Lord Regent of Imperium Nihilus, because that's Dante. Well, to be fair, he wasn't awake yet, as far as we know. It should still be Dante. Sorry, lion. You're terrible ruler you know it's it's nothing personal you just kind of suck um no i'm kidding dante's been me. doing this for a long time a really long time actually with the lion i can imagine him being like keep it up i got i got a few things i gotta go do i'll be back i mean you're kind of like sanguinius reborn so and sanguinius was the Secundus Emperor, so carry on. I, let's see. 
actually, I think it's in the Pariah Nexus, because I forgot that the last time we actually saw him, or saw, not them, the last time we saw the rock was with Fenris. So, but I'm wondering if they're going to somehow get the lion into Nihilus, and then we have a Primarch on both sides of the rift. Right? And just like Bob had to wake up and deal with Mortarion's bullshit, the lion will then have to deal with Angron's bullshit. And okay. quite frankly, I don't know I don't know who has the better got dealt the better hand there. Alright, well then Fulgrim's gonna show up now and be like, What's up? Just... We seem to be waking up because we woke Bob up what, five years ago? Yeah. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, so it's almost yes. six. Six years ago, yeah time going um so are we going to just wake up loyalist primarchs like every six years or something like that well, we need to have the only problem with that is is that only robbie bobby and the lion uh were sleeping they were our sleeping beauties and right um, a lot of the others were mia yeah like, right like vulcan jagged Recon. you know we're gonna have the salamanders like, suddenly solve that scavenger hunt um yeah i guess the i guess Vulcan would be more MIA. The rest are AWOL. Uh, Jagatai Khan is, we know he's out there somewhere. Uh, Fenris. Um, Lehman Russ. He's. I cannot think of his name for a second there. Uh, Korax. Russ, Korax also are just somewhere, somewhere. Uh, is Dorn actually dead? I'm going to go ahead and guess no, but who knows? I'm going to say uh, no. Because but... we have two for sure loyalist Primarchs dead. And two for sure, traitor Primarchs dead. Correct? Correct. Yeah, so we can't have... So Dorne can't be, like, really dead, because then we need another traitor dead. Gotta have it all even. Even, Steven, friends. So this book spends a lot of time in the past. There is a lot of reminiscing. There's a lot of memoring, remembering, remembrancing, you might say. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of that. Is it effective? Did you like it? Was it? Oh, I did loved it, help? it. I loved it I, personally because it. Yes. I mean, that's probably the only thing you're really going to get out of the world eaters. You know, if you think about it as the past, you know, when they were actually lucid and remembered stuff. Yes. So, yeah. So we have, let's look at it from both sides. So let's start with the world eaters then, because the world eaters spend a lot of time, and the Grey Knights also spend a lot of time being like, hmm, um, not as much as the world eaters, obviously, but you're right. Like, they're almost, the world eaters are almost the Uncle Rico of the uh, Warhammer 40k universe. Could have thrown this football over that damn mountain. Uh, did you like their reminiscing? Do you, are there glory days for them to really think about? I mean, it's glory days as much as they can consider them, right? Because, like, was, you know, their big triumph. Hard <laughs> Primarch kicked Lehman Russ's ass and sent him crawling away. Um, we went and just raised Nuceria because, you know. He could. Right. Uh, yeah, so to them, that, that, that would be. Like that, you know, they were talking about, you know, Istvan 3 and Istvan 5, how much fun that was. Like, y'all have weird ideas of fun, but, you know, cool. I'm both delightful, but sad. Right. Too. Because it's like, these are your heydays. These are your glory days. Well, when they were talking about Nuceria and they're talking about raising Nuceria, I'm like, yeah, because 
your Primark just couldn't let it go. And then when they talk about Istvan and Istvan, it's like... Well, so he actually didn't want to go to Nusaria. Lorgar forced him to go. Yeah, but again... But when he got there, he was like, I got to see how things are now. Exactly. Like, it's not like he was like, nope, not doing it. Don't care. Um, And then Istvan and Istvan, I had the same thought where I was just like, do these guys know how to party or what? (laughs) Like, but it tells you so much about them as a legion. And it tells you a lot about Kosalax, too, and the rest of them. Like, the rest of the Forsworn. It tells you that, like, hey, man... Our best times were when we were killing our brothers. That, that says a lot for you guys as people, as a legion. And like uh, 10,000 years later, that's all you guys have? Talk about peaking in high school. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> like, that, that, that made me... On one hand, I liked it and it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is very interesting. I really liked his, again, his introspection on that about basically this is the time of our lives. But, like, at some point, you kind of sound like the frat boy remembering that that one night we drank three beers, two shots of Jack, three shots of Jägermeister, and we passed out in the back of a bathroom. Like, is that all you've done in 10,000 years? I mean, obviously not, Coastal X. Like, we've seen all these other things that he does where he's, like, grabbing all of these other people who are like, we like to kill in Water Brotherhood. Right? Like, he has some plans, but at the end of the day, you're still... This is still your best day, your glory days. Mm-hmm. Not quite what Bruce Springsteen was imagining in that song, I don't think. Uh, I mean, it. it uh, see, now I can't get like the high school <laughs> analogy exactly. out of my head. They're like, because it's mm-hmm. yeah, like they're the guys that are at the reunion who are still acting like how they did back in high school. Hundred percent. And talking about that one party, yeah, where we all got drunk in the cornfields. You remember that? I remember exactly how much I drank that night. Okay, guys, I've done other things in my life since then, though. It's been... Well, we're not going to talk about how long it's been. Um, <laughs> in more than 20 years. Uh, but for these guys, it's been 10,000. They've got a little up on me there. But I thought that for the World Eaters, it was interesting. It was really interesting to see. And it was interesting to hear their thoughts on it. To see them remember. And again, trying to grasp for that brotherhood and that glory day this, that I'm like... Did it really exist, though? Your brotherhood was based on killing your other brotherhoods. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I mean, if that's your thing. Well, I mean, there was a brotherhood, I think, because like Karn even talked about it. Uh, they but, all do. And 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 betrayer, uh, mm-hmm. really before, bef- you know, the before times. Um. You know, the Brotherhood, like, he had a really good friendship with Sigismund. And he really liked um, Loken. Um, there was one other guy he had, a, he had a good friendship with. Might have been Garrow. I don't remember. But it was one, one of those, one of those ma- main guys. Saul Tarvitz. That's Saul Tarvitz. Ah, bless you, Saul Tarvitz. Like the only, like, decent emperor's children out there. Moment of silence for right. Saul. Just like Garrow is like the only good Death Guard. The first Grey Knight. Anyway. <laughs> Bring uh, it full circle. That's right. Bring it all all full circle. But you know, they but they talked about, you know, the the brotherhood that they had. 
and that and that they felt. And uh, honestly, like Erebus and Lorgar kind of came in and shit all over it, especially Erebus. Like we could have had nice things except for those two assholes. Um, agreed. And then here you are 10,000 years later talking about how the best days of your lives were when you were killing your brothers from other legions. I mean, that's probably one of the but, saddest parts to me. I don't remember which book it is because I think three or four of them talk about Istvan three. I don't remember. But it's when the it was the world eaters were turning on the other world eaters and the ones they were turning on were like, what did we do? Like, we don't understand. Like, You're that not was just fully heart- on board. That was just heartbreaking. We question your devotion to Sparkle Motion. How many pop culture references can I fit into one podcast? I don't know. Um, I yes, and to your point, it's interesting that you talk about Karn because I feel as though Kosalax kind of fell into this category too, where it's like we want that brotherhood, we want what we used to have. I mean, you know, kind of what we used to have because we know the history of the world eaters. We know that you guys, yes, you killed all the loyalist ones. If you believe the. Primark book, which I really choose to believe doesn't exist. You kill all the guys who wouldn't get the nails put into your heads. Like, you guys want a thing you never had. You're pining for these glory days that did they even exist to begin with? I mean, at the same when you time, listen to though, some of Kosalax's stuff, yeah, they did. I think Kosalax, though, if there's anyone going to unite the Legion and lead them, it is him. I agree 100%. Honestly, just for the fact that, you know, that they were getting a little tied up and bored. So they're all like, you know, just killing one another. And he's just, you know, walking through it like, yep, yeah, looks it looks about right. But I'm going this way. So y'all just leave me alone. It's all cool. Like, honestly, Another day in the office. Yeah, I laughed so hard when Latus and his crew got there and they and, you know, they come down the ramp. And there's a, a gunshot goes off and he ducks like immediately. And he just looks in and just sees everybody just, you know, trying to kill one another. And he's like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yes, I've come to the right. right. Uh, it is, but it's like, all I can say is that the world leadership sound like they must be, again, literal chaos. Um, Because when you just need to keep killing for people, uh, that's the only reason that I think Kosalax might be a problem going forward for the Imperium. We saw it in this book. What's worse than world leaders? World leaders that are thinking and have plans. And I agree with you 100%, especially listening to some of his, like, his recollections and some of the way that he... The interesting part about the recollections a lot was that you could see the way that his mind moves. And yes, he has problems with the nails. Yes, as you said, he just kind of walks through all this chaos and is like, day that ends in boy. Um, You might want to, like, curb that. Um, It's really hard when your brotherhood that you're trying to form around are also... Maybe not the most mentally stable people. Um, but that's the only reason I think he might be a problem. Because if anybody can do it, it will be him. And he has he has Lotara. IDK, my BFF Lotara. Um, so let's talk about the Great Knights, though. Because they also spend quite a bit of time thinking about the past and reminiscing about the past. Um, now, granted, it's more specific to, like, Armageddon and... Well, like, well they can't let it go. You know, and they even talk about the, the other ones... That are not with this group of 13, like Hyperion and some of the others, how they've kind of retired as much as, you know, 
I guess space marines can retire. Right. There's not a huge, robust, like, retirement community for these people. No, but they're, but they're staying on Titan and, you know, doing their, doing their own things. Um, so it's like, it's almost like he feels like he has nothing else left. And the sad thing is, like, he could have had surgery on his thigh. Could have gotten that shard out. Could have cut off the leg if need be. If they couldn't couldn't hey, get it out. Get a bionic. But he chose to be stuck in the past. Yes. Very much so. Which, in some ways, I was like, are you sure you're not a Black Templar? Just curious. Well, that's one thing I loved about... I can't... I can't really remember how to pronounce the um i think it was the chaplain's name he was like are you sure that the shard is not affecting you at all with rage and man what a horrible way that chaplain went like that was not cool but with your point about that i had the same thought when he said that i was like like i mean you have a piece you don't just have a corrupted weapon in your body you have a piece and you don't even have a demon prince's piece. You have a demon Rymark mm -hmm. prince's piece of his weapon. Like, you mean to look me in the eye and tell you tell me that that's that doesn't have any effect on your mentality? Because you are oddly fixated on this. And yes, like, and I actually was a little surprised. I'll be really honest. I was surprised they let him keep it. I am surprised they didn't look at that and were like, oh, that's coming out. Again, it's it's a piece of Angron's Sword. Like, we've learned nothing from Warhammer 40k. Objects have power. Right. Especially objects that were touched by chaos and demons and demon princes. Like, all sorts our of whole last book, like, ended with the freaking shards of Erebus for F's sake. So, you, bring that back up. I'm just saying, like, objects have power. Objects have a lot of power in this universe because, again, it's not magic, but kind of is it's a little magic adjacent right um it the chaplain i liked the chaplain i liked yes he he went particularly bad um not the most ignoble death that is still being a dreadnought being eaten by flare necrons yes they don't eat sustenance that is still the most ignoble way to die fight me um but yes, I, I feel like um, I feel like the Warhammer 40k universe could also be called 40,000 Bad Ways to Die. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time we read a book, I'm like, oh, add that one to the list. <laughs> Didn't see that one going. Uh, but that was like, oh my god, that was one thing that this book did. So the Warhammer 40k, especially Horus Heresy, because they do this a lot too. I am getting triggered by the use of the word meat. For pieces of a human being. Like when they were talking about what happened to that astropath. And they said his face was melting to gobs uh, of meat fell off. I'm like, why do you have to say okay. it like that? Meat doesn't bother me. Gobs? <laughs> gobs of meat? Does. Because I picture like when they, when they crank sausage... That's what gobs of meat are. So yes, when they describe the metal, you're just like sausage. <laughs> like it's well, I mean, it's just with anything. Like you know, when Shaka like looks around, he's just like, <laughs> "Where did my friends go?" And the, and you talk about that. Oh, there's like all this blood and 
meat on the ground. Like, oh my God, do you have to describe it like that? That's just so gross. And it's so like, um, it's, all we are. Bone. it's so um, dismissive. That's okay. That's the biggest thing about it is that it is very dehumanizing. Yes. That, right. Yes. It is. You like, okay. Conceptually, we all know that we are nothing but meat and bone. That's all we are. Um, but, but to think about like a dead person, that's just, you know, their meat on the, it's like, no, that's. Yeah. It is very dehumanizing. It's very dismissive. Yeah. It makes me want to go vegetarian. There's a lot of things that kind of make me, especially when they talk about like oval. And then I'm like, you had to bring that up. I did. You're welcome. It gets used a lot in these books. Um, Not like how Andy Clark used it that one time. Thousand sacks of oval, which is awful. Um, (laughs) Hey, still not as good as your husband's joke. um, but no, I thought it was actually a really, usually I hate, I really hate when people, the reason I asked this question is that I, I don't like flashbacks and I don't really like memories. I feel like a lot of times they're cheap. I feel like sometimes they feel really shoehorned and crammed in there. Well, this isn't like and an after school special. I thought this one was done very, very well. I thought it was done very well. I thought it was done very, it told the story and it, it provided good color and provided good commentary as you said like with Gracchus I'm like did you get you got problems you got issues and it kind of all you can't let in, in a lot of ways they were kind of a fo- now that we're just talking about this actually I'm saying this out loud in a lot of ways they were kind of foils for the um world eaters who are like oh man Istvan was good times now he's not happy and excited about Angron or about uh Armageddon but he can't let it go mm-hmm they're living in the past, and so is this great night. Let's blame the shard. Which might become a trigger word for me. I'm just throwing that out there. But I I thought it was a really good plot device. I thought it worked really well. I thought the whole narrative structure of this book worked. The way that it bounced between the great knights and the um the world eaters, sometimes that you know, those can be a little jarring. Not as bad as with this book. Where I was like, oh right. Those guys were a thing. Um, but it, it just, it flowed so nicely and their stories came together really nicely. I, I really, really enjoyed this book. Yeah. And it, it was a nice palate cleanser. I'm not going to lie. But, and it might have been a nice spoonful of sugar before I take my medicine, which is our next book. Oh, you might love this one too. You don't know. I didn't want to read this. Okay, that's fair. So I didn't want to read Lords of Silence. And you liked that book too? Yeah. Run that out there. Um, and Vorx is the other good world eater, by the way, but he's not good like in the like in the Garrow. He's not a world sense. eater. Sorry, uh, Death Guard. Death Guard. He's yes. the other because you said the Garrow was the oh, only yes. good. Yes. Death Guard. Well, Vorx is like the Vorx. best, like traitor. Death Guard. Bad. Death Guard. <laughs> Agreed. It's so definitely we not are Typhus. Because screw that guy. Again, who's worse, Typhus or Erebus? I can argue both. Um, we are finally, at long last, getting to read. Our, ooh, it's so shiny. It uh, Araman Eternal. I really fun story. I carry the purse. The um, I carry the um, mirror the, the that came in this mirror. in my purse, and I pulled it out the other day, and somebody was like, oh, 
I love that. Where did you get that? And it was like, it's a long story. You don't want to know. Um, you cannot get this at Sephora. I'm sorry. Uh, we are finally reading this, though. It is out for the general public. It, it has an audiobook as well. We went through a big period there where we were reading like a bunch of stuff that wasn't available on audio. Our last few books have been. Despite myself, I'm actually very excited for this book. And not just because it has a beautiful teal, my favorite color. So Mark. I was looking at this, and this was actually came out a year ago. March yeah. 12th, 2022. I was like... Ooh, that's nice synchronicity. Yeah. Um, uh, come on, Games Workshop. Like, don't make people wait a year for right. these books. That causes a problem. And I will say... Um, yeah, the whole, I, I, I'm excited for it. As much as I hate the Thousand Suns, the collector's edition is so beautiful. Um, and. Well, it's got the Necrons in it. So I find it funny that he's, so like the whole thing in it, cause I was like, you know, writing this up for the, our, our website. Like, huh, he wants to use the chronomancy of the Necrons. This can't go wrong at all. think of that meme with the computer that's like don't fuck up and magnus is like oh this looks hard this looks hard <laughs> it's Armin in a nutshell i even made that joke where i was like i can't see how he fail i can't wait to see how he fails miserably this book uh spoiler alert he's not going to find redemption for his legion i'm, I'm calling it now uh, but you can tell that this book originally came out a year ago at the necrons right yes. like you're looking at it and you're like whoo that's a little dated. <laughs> so remember when they think, were a thing? Remember when they were a thing? Games Workshop doesn't. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm actually excited to read it. I am going into it with tampered expectations, but good expectations. And I figure, yes, Carrie has read. We both, this is the best thing about this book club is that we both end up reading books where we're like, uh, the other person really wants to read this. So, okay. So I think it's actually kind of a fun thing about Warhammer 40k. There's something for everybody. And then sometimes we end up being surprised. That's true. Except that... Like with this book. I have to say, like, guys, we're never going to read the Tao books. And I know that people want us to read them, but we're never going to. That is like one that we both agree on that we are never going to read. I just can't do no. the Tao. Having said that... um, I, did, I was joking with my husband the other day. I was like, they're on audiobook. Maybe we could do that for an extra life. And then we can Mystery Science Theater 3000 them. I'm just kidding. I actually really like Phil Kelly. But we're going to have to be in a drought. Like, there's going to have to be another Black Library drought. And there's nothing that we can go back and read for us to be like, okay. It's going to be like Green Eggs and Ham. I am legit. I think that's the other reason we're not reading them is I'm kind of scared that we're going to try them and be like, oh, we love the Tao. No. And then my whole identity will come into question because I have made myself a non-Tau person and a non-Necron person. Those were the, the lines I drew in the sand. I'm still not a Necron person, so somebody's going to be able to keep their morals. Well, no, I still don't really like the Necrons either. I liked them in Kazarkin. I mean, there's some books where I'm like, oh, they were used really well here, but I'm still not Team Necron. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? Yeah, I guess, like... I feel like I don't know you anymore, but anyway, I'm just going to go on ahead and continue and just take us. Because I said there's a world I would like the Tao. I mean, 
I don't know, maybe Phil Kelly writes them so well. I don't like the Dark Angels, and I loved Luther. Question. I mean, sure. Makes sense to me. All right. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k Book Club episode regarding Angron, Angry Ron, The Red Angel by David Geimer. Be sure to join us next time for Arimen Eternal by John French. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the vid with the Black Library. I can't talk with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our ventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books, so please stay a while and read from a crack. I guess, yeah, sure, I'm Alfarious as I'm drinking my angry, angry Ron tea. I um, did not manage to snag a copy of Angry Ron, and I enjoyed this book so much. I'm extra angry about that. That's it. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Good night. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.